The following is a presentation made at the 2022 Transcending the Israel Lobby at Home and Abroad Conference held on March 4 at the National Press Club. So our next speaker is Edward Ahmed Mitchell. He's an attorney and a former journalist who serves as the Deputy Director of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE, the largest Muslim civil rights and advocacy organization in the United States. He is going to discuss lessons from the CARE espionage incident, how American groups working for human rights can take measures against joint Israel lobby espionage and infiltration operations. Mr. Mitchell previously served as the executive director of CARE Georgia from 2016 to 2020. During that time, the civil rights organization resolved numerous cases of anti-Muslim discrimination, opened its first office, and expanded its staff to include a paralegal, a staff attorney, legislative aides, and a communications director. In 2016, the chapter received CARE's National Chapter of the Year Award. Before joining CARE Georgia, Mr. Mitchell practiced law as a criminal prosecutor for the city of Atlanta and worked as a freelance journalist for the Atlantic Journal-Constitution. He has also served as vice president and secretary of the National Association of Muslim Lawyers, an editor of Atlantic Muslim, a member of the Georgia Association of Muslim Lawyers, and a member of the Board of Trustees of the Islamic Community Center in Atlanta, Mitchell is a 2009 graduate of Morehouse College, where he served as captain of the school's American Mock Trial Association team, president of the Honors Program Club, and editor-in-chief of the campus newspaper. He received his law degree from Georgetown University Law Center, where he won first place in the law school's annual trial advocacy competition, and he served as editor-in-chief of the Georgetown Law Weekly and was elected president of the Muslim Law Student Association. Welcome. Please help us welcome Edward Ahmed Mitchell. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for the introduction. I didn't know you were going to do that long introduction, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with all of you. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum. Shalom alaikum. May peace be upon all of you. I hope you are doing well and staying safe. Uh, I'm Edward Ahmed Mitchell. Uh, As just mentioned, I'm the Deputy Director of the Council on American-Islamic Relations based in Washington, D.C. On behalf of our entire civil rights organization, I thank you for hosting this event and inviting us to participate. I also want to thank you all for the accommodation allowing me to appear virtually. Uh, My wife and I are expecting a new addition to our family soon, God willing, so I am staying close to home and avoiding crowds. Uh, But it's a pleasure to be with you virtually. I hope to see all of you in person uh, one day soon, God willing. I've been asked today to speak about the issue of surveillance, of infiltration, of the intersection between anti-Muslim bigotry, anti-Palestinian racism, and how extremists who share both of those ideologies have attempted to target the Muslim community in order to undermine our advocacy for Palestinian human rights. This is an issue that is very important to our community, and I think it's an issue that's very important to our country, and I'm happy to discuss it with you today. Before I dive in, I want to start by telling you a little bit about uh, CARE, our organization. So first and foremost, CARE is our nation's largest Muslim civil rights 
organization. We were founded back in 1994. Our mission is to promote justice, protect civil rights, empower American Muslims, and uh, enhance the public's understanding of Islam. We've been doing that now for almost 30 years. Uh, We are known very much for winning important court cases, uh, defending the right of Muslims to practice their faith, to engage in free speech. Uh, Relevant to all of you, we have defeated multiple anti-boycott laws in multiple states, including Georgia and Texas, uh, and we're continuing that important work. We also vocally speak out for not only civil rights here at home, but human rights overseas. We've been very critical of the Chinese government over its ongoing genocide of Uyghur Muslims. We've been very critical of the UAE and Saudi Arabia for the war crimes they're committing in Yemen. We've been very critical of Myanmar for the ethnic cleansing of Rohingya Muslims. And of course, we've been very critical of the Israeli government for the ongoing occupation and oppression of the Palestinian people. All of that work together has made us, uh, you could say, enemy number one for anti-Muslim hate groups here in the United States. There is no Muslim group they hate more than care. All you got to do is Google our name and you will find that they obsess over us. We get to, uh, as the kids say, live in their heads uh, rent free, so to speak. And we take that as a good sign. Uh, The fact that they hate us so much is a sign that we are doing good and important work. But we also are hated by people around the world who support injustice and oppression. Uh, We have had to deal with literally foreign dictators and foreign governments targeting our organization. Give you a few examples. The United Arab Emirates uh, literally put us and numerous other Muslim groups on a list of terrorists. Uh, They designated as terrorists because we advocated for the right to free speech, the right to protest, the right to vote during the Arab Spring. Uh, the Bush administration put a care and numerous other American Muslim groups on a list of unindicted co-conspirators during a, a trial back in around 2007, 2008. Last year, Chinese hackers uh, launched a massive cyber attack on us in an attempt to take down some of our systems that failed. It was actually very serious uh, in response to our criticism of what's being done to Uyghur Muslims. And here in America, of course, as I mentioned, not only anti-Muslim hate groups target us, but any groups that are considered mainstream Uh, parts of the community, like the Anti-Defamation League, are very hostile and very publicly critical uh, of our civil rights work. And so I say all that to say that when you are out there on the battlefield of civil rights, when you're advocating for justice for all people, it's dangerous work. It attracts a lot of enemies. We expect that. We account for it. We're used to it. We can deal with it. We're big boys and big girls. That's part of the job of being a civil rights attorney. The NAACP was called uh, anti-American and communist back in the day. We all know what was said about Dr. King and Brother Malcolm and others. Again, this is part of the job and we expect it. One of the things that we also have grown to expect and prepare for is the possibility of infiltration and spying. This was, as you know, done to black civil rights groups and black leaders uh, back in the 60s, 70s and beyond, uh, infiltrated with informants and undercover agents to spy on their work, to undermine their work. Because when you cannot defeat someone's message, you attack the messenger and you try to undermine the messenger. And this has especially been done to people who support Palestinian human rights. You all will know that uh, at one point, uh, anti-apartheid activists here in the United States were spied upon because the Israeli government and the South African apartheid government had a close relationship. And so it was actually the anti-defamation, anti-defamation League in California that spied on anti-apartheid activists and got sued over and had to settle uh, a few decades ago. And of course, American Muslims are no stranger to being targeted and spied upon. It's happened to numerous Muslim organizations. Perhaps the most famous Example of this was when the NYPD launched a systematic campaign of spying 
on Muslims in New York, on student centers, on mosques and organizations that went on for years in the wake of 9-11 until it was exposed and, and shut down. So I say all that to say that spying is a serious problem. It's something that we, uh, we uh, expect and we prepare for. But nonetheless, we were certainly taken uh, surprised by something that happened to our organization over the past few years. And that's what I want to tell you about today. Some of you may have seen the news, and, and uh, if not, we're going to go into some of the detail. But to give you the headline, an anti-Muslim hate group here in the United States, working for the benefit of a foreign government, the Israeli government, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in over 10 years to infiltrate and spy upon American Muslim organizations. Let me say it again. A, an anti-Muslim hate group here in the United States that is a registered nonprofit organization spent over $100,000 and over 10 years infiltrating and spying upon American Muslim organizations, including mosques, civil rights groups, and individual leaders, all for the benefit of a foreign government. That is what we learned and exposed over the past year, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. And then we're going to talk about why this is so important to be aware of and what we can do to protect our work, our activism, our civil rights advocacy, our human rights advocacy from these attempts to undermine our work, uh, God willing. I've got a limited amount of time, so uh, I talk fast, as you can see. I'm going to try to uh, get through this quickly because I want to make sure I can take all of your questions. Uh, and so uh, also I'll note, uh, Grant, uh, if, uh, if at any point we're having technical difficulties, just let me know, and I will uh, pause to make sure that we can address those issues. So what I'm going to do now is share my screen. We're going to be showing you a few items here, uh, visual items as I walk through this presentation. Um, looks like we've got... Uh, screen sharing disabled. So I'm going to ask Grant to, if he can, to uh, just make me a co-host on Zoom, and that should allow me to share my screen as I'm presenting. But until that's set up, I'll go ahead and, and continue. So the first thing I want to note is this. So in the fall of 2020, uh, we at CARE received a very uh, mysterious email from someone claiming that they had worked for an anti-Muslim hate group known as the Investigative Project on Terrorism. This is an, a right-wing organization founded by Stephen Emerson. Uh, many of you may know Mr. Uh, Emerson. He is a, uh, hold on, we've got screen sharing now, so let me get this started. All right, you all should be able to see my screen. Grant, just message me in the chat if, if anything isn't coming through. This should be the, the first screen here, and now we're going to show you this. All right, so this is Stephen Emerson. Mr. Emerson, uh, Google his name, you may know him, you know, a far-right extremist. Back in 1995, he became somewhat infamous for claiming that the Oklahoma City bombing was likely perpetrated by Middle Easterners. And then over the years, he uh, became uh, very well-known and very prominent in right-wing circles, anti-Muslim circles. He appeared on Fox News quite a bit, and he touted himself as a so-called terrorism expert. His organization, very hostile to Muslims, very hostile to Palestinians, very supportive of the Israeli government's policies. And so he just dedicated his time, him and his organization, to targeting, smearing American Muslim leaders and organizations. Uh, around 2015, I believe, he went on Fox and he said something that was dumb even for him. He claimed that a city in England was a no-go zone, that the police could not go there because it had been taken over by Muslims. And he was ridiculed for this. He had to apologize. The British Prime Minister, uh, David Cameron, called him a complete idiot. And after that, he kind of was pushed out of even conservative circles. You didn't see him on Fox anymore. He became kind of a nobody, but he was still active uh, you know, writing his articles, uh, posting things online. Uh, we were aware of him, obviously tracking him, but he seemed to have faded away as a serious threat to the American Muslim community. Now that brings us to the email we got 
about two years ago. A former IPT member reached out to us and said, I've got information you may want. There is a mole in your organization. That's all this person said. Now, of course, we didn't know, is this true? Is it not true? Is this person a crackpot? We didn't know. And so over the following months, uh, this person sent us information, a considerable amount of information about the inner workings of IPT and what they had been doing. And what this information showed pretty clearly is that there was indeed likely a mole somewhere within our civil rights organization and that this mole had been providing uh, uh, private conversations, recording conversations, emails, strategy work to IPT, to this anti-Muslim hate group. Now, as many of you know, we would later find out that the person doing this was the director of Care Columbus, Ohio, Roman Iqbal. We found that out months later. Uh, obviously, he was, uh, after a long investigation, he was confronted, uh, he, was, he admitted it, and he was terminated. Now, that by itself is disturbing enough, but that is not the end of the story, because what we also learn from this whistleblower is that IPT, this organization, this hate group, is not only targeting care. They were targeting the broader Muslim community. They were targeting mosques. They were targeting interfaith organizations. They were targeting Muslim leaders, uh, and they were using paid spies to do it. They were paying their staff and external spies a considerable amount of money to spy on the Muslim community, to record private conversations among Muslim leaders, to go to events, undercover, and record those things with hidden cameras and cameras and purses and other ridiculous things, and then turn that over to IPT. Even more disturbing, we learned what they were doing with some of this information. Let me show you a few examples. So again, their first target and main target was us, was CARE. They hate CARE because of our advocacy for not only Palestinian rights, but against Islamophobia. So here's just one email, and don't worry if you can't read the text, I'm going to describe each of these to you. This is a, a conversation that uh, Roman Iqbal passed along to IPT. Uh, as you all know, uh, government officials often appear before Congress and uh, to answer questions, and civil rights groups and advocacy groups will often encourage members of Congress to ask questions of those government officials. Perfectly normal work. So, of course, CARE did that at a hearing, and Mr. Iqbal then informed IPT that, hey, look, CARE gave some suggested questions to Representative Keith Ellison to ask of the FBI director. This is just one example of information he was sharing. Anything about our national work, our strategic work, was what Roman Iqbal wanted to get a hold of and wanted to pass along, especially anything related to our interactions with government and to our advocacy for human rights, in particular, Palestine. They, I guess this is another email uh, in which you can hear, see, you can see Stephen Emerson saying to his own staff, quote, Roman is covering this event, uh, a Hill Day, a Capitol Hill Day in New York. Roman is covering this for us. So be prepared for an avalanche of incoming tapes during that period. So again, this is how they were targeting us uh, internally. But again, not just us. They were also going after external Muslim leaders and organizations. Let's talk about that now. One of the most disturbing uh, uh, examples we have, many of you recall the controversy over Park 51. So back in 2010, anti-Muslim hate groups rallied uh, uh, opposition to the expansion of a Muslim community center located several blocks away from the World Trade Center site. What we found out through this whistleblower is that IPT managed to infiltrate uh, one, if not more, national Muslim strategy calls about how to address that controversy. They recorded that conversation, uh, produced a massive transcript of it, turned it over to IPT. 
Park 51, uh, uh, Sister Daisy Khan, uh, the leader of that, one of the leaders of that project believes that that infiltration allowed anti-Muslim hate groups to predict their moves and undermine their moves and eventually cause serious harm to that project. This is just the first page of very long transcript that IPT created of that conversation. You can see here that nearly every major Muslim organization, CARE, IMPACT, Zaytuna College, the Islamic Society of North America, uh, the uh, Institute for Social Policy Understanding, other Muslim organizations were recorded on this call. It's important to note that what IPT was doing, paying people to spy, was not only unethical, it was in some cases illegal. As you all know, to record someone without permission in numerous states is against the law, yet IPT was systematically doing that to Muslim leaders across and organizations across the country. Now, we also learned some other things I'm not going to go into, but IPT, we learned, very abusive to their staff. This is a, sub, a subject line that Mr. Emerson sent to his staff, and if you can't read it, it says, to all the effing idiots who work for me. And he was very upset because uh, his people had apparently missed recording uh, some Arab Spring event being held at Georgetown University. Here's another email where he's cursing at his staff, threatening to fire people because they missed coverage of an event held by the Muslim Association of North America, the Muslim Alliance of North America. That's an African-American Muslim group based in New York. Now, that also disturbing, but not the end of the story. We also learned that not collaborating and working with and providing assistance to the Israeli government. Let's show you a few emails we have here. So as you can see here, the... Title of this email, Mr. Emerson allegedly sends an email from his uh, from he forwards an email from the office of Prime Minister Netanyahu to his own staff. And and the title of this is urgent research request from Netanyahu office. Quote, this is an urgent high priority request from the office of PM Netanyahu. Who can work on this right now? This is urgent. Steve. Mr. Emerson, according to these emails, was allegedly in touch with multiple Israeli intelligence officials, including Idol Misrahi, who identifies himself in these emails as a senior intelligence official working in Netanyahu's office, as well as General Yassi Kuperwasser, who is a former Israeli general, also worked in Israeli intelligence. And in these emails, you can see numerous conversations. At one point, the Israeli government asks IPT, do you have any information connecting Students for Justice in Palestine, the American college student group, to Hamas. This is, they again, they are reaching out to an American nonprofit organization, asking this organization, this hate group that's spying on Muslims, for information about SJP college students, American college students. And again, you can see these emails, and this is online, by the way, if you can't read any of these. So again, what this indicated to us is that not only was Mr. Emerson uh, targeting American Muslims, spreading Islamophobia. He was at the same time actively collaborating with and working with a foreign government. Now, the next thing I want to note here uh, is, oh, and, and if you go and read some of these in details online, you'll also see Ms. Emerson mentioning his travels to Tel Aviv, meeting with these intelligence officials in person. So God knows whatever else they were saying to each other that we don't know about yet. Now, I want to note that we were able to find this out, all this out, because a brave whistleblower within IPT decided to come forward and tell us what was going on. And in addition to that, after we gathered a lot of this information, we were able to identify another spy, in the, not in our organization, in the broader Muslim community. That person voluntarily came forward before anyone confronted him and confessed and offered to help and provided us extensive information. Through him, we were able to learn that IPT was paying 
money to spies to do this work. And we were also able to learn more about IPT's motivations. I'm going to show you now just two quotes from each of these whistleblowers. They have full statements we posted online, but I'm just going to show you a few quotes that talk about motive. So this is the whistleblower who worked within IPT. This is what they said to us. This is a direct quote from them in their public statement. I came to realize that IPT's main concern was not protecting our nation from legitimate threats, but protecting a foreign government, Israel, from legitimate criticism. We were essentially being used as an Israel lobbying organization. Demonizing people who simply have opinions we may not agree with has become sport, yet I was doing it as part of my job. Now, this person, I want to say, uh, you know, we're not identifying their name publicly, but they have spoken, obviously, to some reporters. Uh, but I want to say that they are incredibly brave and they're a testament to the human capacity to to change, to recognize that we've done something wrong and then to do the right thing. This person spent years targeting American Muslims, uh, trying to undermine the fight for Palestinian human rights. And they came around. They realized what they were doing was wrong and they stepped up and they did the right thing to try to make things right. And that's why we as Muslims, I would say, we, we always try to make sure that we give people a chance to do the right thing. Uh, we always try to make sure that we re- recognize our, our opponents, even our enemies, our human beings, and they all have the capacity, the ability to change for the better. And so I just want to say about this individual, we are so appreciative of their, uh, of their doing the right thing, of recognizing that uh, the Muslim community uh, is uh, a part of America and does not deserve to be treated this way, and recognizing that Palestinian human rights matter. And I want to share a quote from uh, another individual. Uh, this is the, the second person. Now, this is the, a Muslim who spied on the community and was paid about $3,000 a month, give or take, for four years to spy on our community, in particular, uh, Black Muslims and Representative Keith Ellison. IPT compiled like a 60-page dossier on Keith Ellison, and they were obsessed. I mean obsessed with anything this man thought or said about Palestinian human rights, about American policy towards Palestine. In fact, we learned that at one point they infiltrated and secretly recorded a private fundraiser that Mr. Ellison spoke at in which he was critical of American foreign policy in the Middle East uh, towards Israel and Palestine. IPT took that audio recording, held on to it, and then leaked it when Keith Ellison was running for chairman of the Democratic National Committee. At that point, uh, the ADL attacked him, other organizations attacked him, and that harmed his campaign for DNC chair. So I want to now read to you a quote from the person who did that recording, uh, uh, another uh, spy for IPT, who, again, recognized what they did was wrong, quit and confessed. Here's the quote. Hold on. We're uh, there. We go. Oh, hold on. Looks like I've got double quotes here. But uh, what I'm going to what he said, I can remember it from the word. What he said is that he came to realize that IPT's main goal in doing all of this uh, was to make sure that there would never be. And this is a quote from him, a Muslim version of APAC. His goal was to make sure that the Muslim community would never become powerful enough to change American foreign policy in the Middle East in a more humanitarian, just way, a fairer way, uh, changing American foreign policy towards Israel and Palestine. He said that was IPT's main goal in targeting Muslims. Yes, they're anti-Muslim. Yes, they're Islamophobic. But the main reason they put so much time and energy in doing all this was to undermine Muslims, swamp us dealing with bigotry so we can't. Uh, improve American foreign policy in the Middle East. Now, again, if that was the end of the story, disturbing enough, but again, not the end of the story. The last piece of this puzzle is that IPT, again, was using and spending a considerable amount of money to pay these spies and their staff to do this work. 
where they get this money from? Well, we just released a report just a few months ago uh, that was a follow-up to a report released in 2017. The report is called uh, 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 Islamophobia in the Mainstream. This report looks at foundations, mainstream charitable foundations that are giving money to anti-Muslim hate groups. What we do is we look at the list of prominent anti-Muslim hate groups. We then check to see where they're getting their donations from. And we also look at foundations, the biggest foundations in America, and look to see who are they giving money to. And then we check and cross-check to see where are we seeing a match here. And so in 2017, we released a report showing that about $150 million had been funneled from mainstream charities, foundations, to anti-Muslim hate groups. We exposed that. We spoke out against it. And then we did a follow-up report, again, just a few months ago, that showed that the number dropped by almost $50 million, a $50 million reduction in the amount of money going from charitable foundations to anti-Muslim hate groups, but still a massive amount of money, $105 million, give or take. Uh, and this is just of the 50 largest charitable organizations in the United States that we survey. One of those anti-Muslim hate groups that got a lot of money from mainstream foundations was IPT. And we also know from public reporting, uh, from thanks to the work of journalists, that what IPT uh, has done in some cases is take money from it, the nonprofit, transfer it allegedly to SAE Productions, which is a for-profit company run by Stephen Emerson. And it's SAE Productions that is then used to pay uh, uh, the spy, that was used to pay one of the spies they had in the Muslim community. We know that because that spy gave us his tax form literally showing money coming from SAE production. So what kind of money did IPT get? You can see this tax form here. And again, if you can't read it, don't worry, I'm going to still tell you what it says. This is in just 2017. Through a donor-advised fund run by Fidelity Charitable Gift Fund, IPT got $67,240 in 2017. That's $67,000 in one year, in 2017. Keep in mind, for just one year of spying, IPT paid about uh, about $3,000 a month uh, over 12 months, right? So this $67,000 a year could easily cover the amount of money they would have to pay a, a spy to target the Muslim community. Who else is giving the money? Schwab Charitable Fund, uh, another donor-advised fund. And for those of you who don't know, a donor-advised fund, so you give the money to a Schwab Charitable Fund. Uh, you recommend who you want that money to go to. You get an immediate tax write-off, even if Schwab doesn't give the money away as a donation right away. And then Schwab can d- give that money to any properly registered nonprofit organization. Uh, but again, they will usually listen to your recommendation, give the money to who you recommend the money would go to. And of course, this provides a level of privacy uh, for the person donating the money, because we don't know who is donating to these donor-advised funds often. So Schwab Charitable Fund passed $51,000 to IPT in 2017. The Jewish Communal Fund, uh, $82,000 to IPT, also in 2017. You can see the tax form here. The Abstraction Fund, this is a, a right-wing uh, anti-Palestinian uh, fund, $55,000 to IPT in 2018. The Diana Davis Spencer Foundation, $300,000 to IPT, $300,000 in 2018. So again, that's just a two-year period, and that's just a small sample of the kind of money that was being passed around. And so when you ask yourself, how is IPT getting the money to spy on the American Muslim community to undermine the community on behalf of a foreign government, this is part of where they are getting that money to target our community. Let me stop sharing screen now. 
So now we, we look at all this and we look at it together and we wonder again, what was the impact of all this? So first and foremost, it's important to note that in all this spying, the ironic thing is that IPT was not able to find anything harmful about American Muslim organizations uh, or mosques. Ten years of spying and all their nonsense about you're tied to Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood and your terrorists, all this foolishness, they got nothing because there is nothing, right? These are all just uh, anti-Muslim bigotry. It's all just hateful things they say uh, because, again, they want to attack the messenger. They want to undermine the messenger. And so they got an inside look at what Muslims are doing for over 10 years, and they know there's nothing there. Yet, why do they keep doing this work? Because as the whistleblower said, the reason IPT is doing this is because they want to undermine and weaken the American Muslim community so that we cannot speak up for Palestinian human rights. That is the main goal. Yes, I'm sure they, they hate Islam. They hate the fact that Muslims, we believe that there is one God and no God but God and that Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him, is a messenger of God. I'm sure they hate us for that belief. But the thing they really, really hate is that we take our Islamic values and we put it into action by advocating for human rights for all people, not just Uyghurs, not just Rohingya, not just the Jewish community, not just Christians. We advocate for all people, and that includes Palestinian human rights. That's what they hate. These people are terrified that American Muslims become politically powerful in this country and use our voices to change American foreign policy in a new or more humane and just way. That's what they're afraid of. They are afraid that we will reorient American foreign policy in a more just and humane direction, especially towards Palestinians. And you know what? They are right to be afraid. That is exactly what we've been doing. And it's exactly what we are going to continue doing, God willing, no matter how much they may hate it. That is our duty in this country to speak up for justice here and abroad. And the fact that these anti-Muslim hate groups and anti-Palestinian racists have found common cause with each other uh, or uh, share these ideologies uh, in one person uh, and then come after us. Again, we consider that a good sign and it makes us feel like we've got to continue doing this work. Last thing I'll say is, what do we do to protect ourselves from this? The key thing that I've said, that we've said in the Muslim community, our director Nihad Awad has said this, and I say it as well, we cannot let this sort of infiltration and spying lead us to become paranoid, lead us to become suspicious of each other. No, uh, we, we have got to think the best of the people we're working with. We can't uh, assume the worst about people. We've just got to keep our heads up and keep doing our work. The one thing these hate groups would love more than anything is to divide us. The anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim crowd has spent years not only attacking our community, but trying to divide us, trying to say to Muslims, look, why do you all just be quiet? Just focus on uh, civil rights here at home. Just worry about Islamophobia. Be quiet. Don't worry about the Palestinians. Just be quiet. And if you do that, we'll leave you alone. No deal. We're not going to do that, right? But that's what they want. They want to do that. And if they can't do that, they want to divide us, right? They want us being suspicious of each other turning on each other. And our community is not going to let that happen. And the broader human rights community, uh, no matter your religion, whether you're Muslim, Jewish, Christian, secular, humanist, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever, if you are in the fight for human rights, don't let infiltration spying make you suspicious of the people you are working with. Uh, these things that happen, they happen. But at the end of the day, we are all doing good work. We have nothing to hide and therefore nothing to be afraid of. We just got to keep doing our work and God willing, uh, we will win sooner or later. That's why they hate us. That's why they're doing this. And it only emboldens us to keep doing our work. Again, I want to thank you all for having me today. And I will wrap up now and welcome any questions that you may have. Thank you.
So, so one question we've gotten is where can we get, where can we see these documents that you flashed before us? Yes, yes. So a few places. So if you go to care.com and look through our public statements, our press release section, you'll find it there. Um, if you don't want to search around a bit, you can just Google care, comma, IPT, and a lot of it will pop up automatically. Um, and of course, if you have any trouble finding anything, let, uh, uh, let me know, let Grant know, let the organizers know. We're happy to uh, provide you all with this information, links to it if you need it. And I have a question for the audience. Um, who is the IPT um, informant here today? Would you raise your hand, please? <laughs> Oh, and how much are you being paid? Thing. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Do you have any? Um, we also had a question. Uh, if you could name the the group, the anti-Muslim hate group that spent over $100,000 to infiltrate uh, other Muslim groups. So that was IPD. That's the group we're talking about. The Investigative Project on Terrorism is their name, founded by Stephen Emerson. I would also know, this is something I forgot to mention, that we, this is a really important thing I forgot to mention, we also have evidence that IPT was in a conversation with working with certain Republican members of Congress and also working with, obviously, other anti-Muslim hate groups. The second spy who came forward to confess told us that IPT connected him with another anti-Muslim, anti-Palestinian hate group, the Middle East Forum, which you may know, it's founded by the racist Daniel Pipes, uh, and that IPT connected the spy with Daniel Pipes. And so we are still looking into who else uh, was in on this, who else was working with IPT. Was IPT working with any federal law enforcement, especially during the Bush administration. Uh, those are still things we are investigating. Over 80 Muslim organizations came together to call on the Justice Department to investigate IPT to determine if they had violated any federal laws, whether that's civil rights laws, criminal laws, tax laws. And so there are a lot of unanswered questions. And obviously, we at CARE have various legal options that we are um, obviously uh, considering and planning. And so we may be learning some more information through that route as well. But suffice to say, there's a lot more to this story that uh, I can't share with you right now and a lot more we don't know. Uh, and we will continue to be looking into this, God willing. So have you um, contacted the FBI about Emerson's communications with the Israeli government? Is that, isn't that illegal? So that's a good question. So we have contacted the Justice Department. We have made them very aware of all of this, both the Justice Department and the FBI directly. So uh, the the communications with the Israeli government by themselves are not necessarily illegal. Uh, the, the federal law regarding when you're acting as a foreign agent, it's very specific. It's a, a high standard to meet. You all may know a famous case recently, Rudy Giuliani came under investigation because of his work Overseas, He still hasn't been prosecuted yet, right? But he was doing work allegedly for a foreign government. Uh, Michael Flynn also got in trouble for doing some work for a foreign government. Uh, so this is a real problem. If you are acting as a foreign agent and you're not registered, that is illegal. However, uh, simply conversing with a foreign government by itself is not necessarily illegal. Uh, the, uh, the FBI would have to look and determine, was IPT acting as a foreign agent? Did they meet that federal standard? Now, I am a former prosecutor, but I'm not going to say that that's the case. That is for the FBI to figure out and identify and look into. And by the way, they should look into this with the same level of seriousness that they would have done if it had been any other community targeted. If the Christian community or the Jewish community or anyone else been targeted in this way by a hate group working with a foreign government, it would be all hands on deck, a full investigation. That's what needs to happen 
at the federal level. And then we can get an answer to that question, God willing. Uh, I would just say that if it's not illegal, it sure is questionable. It sure is suspicious. Uh, and it's something that needs to be looked into. The follow-up question with that is, why do you feel that there is um, a double standard when it comes to protecting uh, Muslim groups um, versus the anti-Semitic and the, um, the definition of anti-Semitism that we've been hearing about this morning? Well, look, here, here's the thing. If you look at what's happening in America right now, in large part because of former President Trump, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, uh, anti-Latino bigotry, uh, various forms of bigotry have been unleashed, right? We've seen horrific hate crimes from the Tree of Life Synagogue uh, to El Paso. I mean, horrific things have happened over the past several years because of this rise in bigotry. However, what Muslims have observed is that when Muslims are victims of a crime, there is sometimes much less attention than when Muslims are perpetrators of a crime. Uh, that is, if some Muslim extremist or some mentally ill person who uh, simply has a Muslim name, does something violent. It's breaking news. It's, everyone's involved. It's a national emergency. But when a Muslim is a victim of a crime, whether that's a violent crime or spying or anything else, it doesn't get the same level of public attention. Now, why is that? I think, obviously, over the past 20 years, Muslims have been dehumanized in the public eye, not only through what our government has said and done, not only through uh, what the media has said and done, but things like Hollywood. I mean, uh, Arabs, Muslims, uh, Black Muslims, people of color in general, uh, you know, our lives are often viewed as less valuable. And if you look at what's happening right now, uh, sadly, in Ukraine, the Russian government is committing horrific war crimes in Ukraine right now. It's unacceptable. It should be stopped. And I'm so happy to see the world uniting to support Ukraine. But did we see the same level of concern of international unity about Uyghurs facing genocide? Did you see American corporations pulling out of China in mass? Did you see uh, uh, the United States and other countries uh, slapping sanctions on China? What about Syrians who've experienced horrific, horrific crimes? Did we see the sort of international unified condemnation? And of course, it goes without saying, Palestinians, when we saw what the Israeli government did to Gaza, uh, last year and what they have done to Palestinians uh, for many years. Do we see that same public outcry? Do we see the media recognizing that, yes, bombing a civilian apartment building is wrong, uh, not only in Ukraine, but also in uh, Gaza? Do we see people recognizing that, yes, bombing a TV tower in Ukraine is wrong, but so is bombing a building that's used by the Associated Press and other journalists in Gaza. We don't see that same level of outrage. And that's because, again, people of color, Muslims have been dehumanized. Uh, and I hope, I my hope, God willing, is that as Muslims become and others become more active, more outspoken, uh, appearing not only uh, in uh, as journalists, not only as political leaders, not only on film, uh, but you'll see that start to change. And I think we are seeing a change. The things, the way things are right now, it's much better, honestly, than the way things were five years ago or 10 years ago in terms of the public perception of Muslims and the role that Muslims are playing in public life. And I think that's true for Palestinians as well and supporters of Palestinian human rights. I think the win is at our back. I think uh, the, the American public, day by day, more of us are recognizing that what is being done to Palestinians with our tax dollars is wrong. It's illegal. It's immoral. Uh, and so we just got to keep raising our voices. And hopefully that will reduce the extent of this double standard that we see. So we had a question here. Um, there are two that are kind of linked. Um, one was a, a 
want, wanting to know why it took you so long um, to out the two spies that you had in your midst. Why did it Good take question. 10 years? Yeah, so first of all, there's only one spy. So uh, there, there was one spy within CARE. There was a second spy who was not part of CARE. He, was in the, he wasn't even part of any organization. He was uh, uh, a volunteer who kind of got his way into various mosques and organizations in the outside Muslim uh, community. So there was only one infiltrator within CARE. And the reason it took so long is that this person did something very simple. All he would do is use his phone to record conversations uh, secretly, and he would forward emails. And so there was no, for example, hacking. There was no sort of technological breach that our security could have caught. It was very rudimentary. Uh, and so there was no real way to catch that. This person joined CARE uh, in about 2006. We suspect, but we don't know yet, it's quite possible he actually joined from the very beginning as a spy, that that is what he joined to do in the first place. He joined as an attorney and then uh, two years ago became the director of the Columbus office in Ohio. Uh, And then shortly after that, about a year or two later, we found out about him. Once we found out his name, uh, we obviously launched a full investigation. We brought in an outside investigator who used to work for the intelligence community. They did a, I mean, an amazing job. They had a 100-page report, forensic report, technological analysis that left no doubt whatsoever that he was the mole, that, that we were sure the evidence was clear, and that the other evidence we had was clear, that the emails with Israel were legitimate, uh, all that was confirmed, and then we took action. So uh, once we knew about this threat, we addressed it very quickly. But again, if someone is willing to risk their law license, if someone is willing to betray their own community, uh, you know, for whatever reason, we don't know the reason yet. We have our suspicions. We don't know yet. Uh, there's not a lot you can do if they're going to be smart about it. But uh, every organization, I would say this has to have really strong security procedures in place. You've got to have confidentiality agreements, which we had in place, so that these people, if they do this, they know they are risking being sued and facing severe consequences, uh, financial consequences. And you've got to make sure that you've got uh, uh, secure systems, not only because of spies, but because of hacking attempts. Uh, I know everyone's worried about this right now because of Russia. But again, this is something that we have dealt with for years. We've had hackers from the Middle East, from China try to breach our systems and fail because, again, we're prepared for that. We have security procedures. So I would just encourage everyone. And we all know about what happened with uh, Pegasus and the spyware the Israelis uh, created that was then sold to uh, certain Middle Eastern dictators and others. So we've got to take this stuff seriously. Uh, But again, you can't uh, prevent everything. You can't catch everything. But we got to make sure we're doing the best we can uh, to be safe. Is CARE concerned at all about the being a target of the Israeli software, spy software, Pegasus NSO? Well, I think, you know, we are obviously concerned in general about any sort of hacking or spying. Absolutely. And not just that, but anything, uh, whether it's coming from, uh, you know, uh, the UAE or the, uh, the Russian government, the Israel, whoever, all the people who had a problem with us. Yes, we are concerned about it. But again, two things. One, we have very strong security in place, technological security. Number two, we're doing good work. There, there, is, there is nothing to hide. Uh, we obviously don't want our strategies out there. We don't want our enemies and opponents to know what we're doing beforehand. So we do want to keep our, our stuff secure, and we do that. But at the end of the day, we just can't let this stuff uh, put fear in us. We just got to keep doing our work. We got really good IT people. They know what they're doing. We trust them. Uh, we just got to keep our heads uh, you know, forward and keep doing the work uh, and not get distracted. Be safe. Be vigilant. But don't get worried. That's, that's our model. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us. And I really, I hope the media stops quoting these guys who 
are really breaking the law and they're Islamophobes. Why does the media keep quoting these people? I hope you are stopping Emerson from the spotlight again. Thank, thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you so much.